Hey, Jessica, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? Good, like, I'm sort of a fair weather fan of either the Eagles or the Steelers. I'm more like college football. Like, I went to Penn State, so I'm a big Penn State fan. Never heard of it. Is it yeah, a small no, school? No. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, to, well, I, I always get mixed up. I think of 2019 as last year because nothing happened last year. Yeah, nope. It's like, so in 2019, my brother got married. And as a wedding gift, I got him and his wife Penn State season tickets because they both oh, went there. Yeah, great and, gift. Yeah. And then this season, like, it got canceled. <laughs> you, so you couldn't, like, go to see the games. But then Penn State had, like, one of the worst seasons they've had in, like, 15 years. So I was like, thank goodness they canceled the audience so that yeah. you didn't have to go and watch them lose every week. So <laughs> now hopefully, now the tickets will roll over to next season. So hopefully when they're back, they'll do better again. Yeah. When you have the summers off, do you get to travel a lot or are you going, are you doing mostly stand up? And Yeah. So over the summer, I always go back to see my family in Pennsylvania for, you know, at least a week, sometimes two weeks or more. And then yeah. uh, I usually try to travel a little bit, you know, I'll do stand up. Yeah. And then um, I'm hoping I'm able to travel internationally again, take a vacation. But oh. we'll, see if that, we'll see if that happens this year or not. Yeah. Even just hearing that sounds so nice. I'm like, oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> working remotely going for you? Because I'm kind of going a little crazy. So I don't know how you, I mean, how are you doing? Uh, I, you know, it's, it's like there's, there's pluses and minuses to it. Like I liked working remotely for a while because it frees up my time where I can work on my own writing projects. And, you know, if I want to travel on a weekend to do stand up, um, you know, I can work over zoom, um, on the days when I actually have assignments, like if I have like a comedy bit or a monologue or something, I would much yeah. prefer to be in the office just because I feel like it's easier to stay on top of everything. If you need like, you know, props or music or graphics yeah. or anything. And just, you know, through the editing process and rehearsals, I find it much easier on days when I'm like, when I personally have an assignment, I would much rather be in the office, you know, like, like yeah. back in October, we started going in uh, like a couple days a week, like a smaller staff, but like yeah. things started to open up. Um, so we were going in a few days a week and kind of alternating days. But then when they like locked everything down, we went back to like just over Zoom. And so yeah. now it's, you know, Ellen's there with a like small staff of like cram camera people and like EPs, but then every everyone else is pretty much working from home right now. Oh God. I started at UCB in New York, but you started uh -huh. stand up at UCB in New York, yep. right? How yeah. was how was so, that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So my first time doing stand up was at the UCB Theater in New York on uh, 26th Street. Like I used to go to see the um, ASCAP performances there where they would have um, like the SNL people. And I was working at Conan at the time and like Conan writers would come out and do improv there. I was yeah. just like, a, I started as an intern at Conan, then I was a producer's assistant there. But that's when I had moved to New York. Um, and so I, I always wanted to try stand up and I wrote jokes in a notebook for probably three years before I got the nerve to like get on stage and try it. Yeah. And then um, it was in 2007. I remember because it was during the writer's strike. And so Conan shut down for like a week or two. Yeah. And um, I had just gone through a breakup and like, it was just, there was nothing to do. And I was like feeling down and there was no work. And I was like, you know what? I have nothing to do right now. I'm going to finally get out and try stand up. Yeah. Um, and so they had this thing called gut bucket at the UCB theater and you would go at like, midnight on a Saturday yep. and put your name in a bucket and then you'd like go eat at McDonald's around the corner and walk back and see if you got like your name pulled and then the show would start at like one in the morning or something. <laughs> I and used to um, intern on Saturday nights there so I'm having all these like flashbacks. Yes, yeah, yeah I was like yep I was there. <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, and um, Pete Holmes was the open mic host. Yeah. So like the first time I ever did stand up, yeah, Pete Holmes was like the open mic host. And uh, I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. Like some people like to have their friends and family there to support. Yeah. I And then I'm like, some people are like me. I was like, I want to go try this anonymously. And if I suck, I'm never going to tell anyone I was there, you know? Yep, yep. So, um, yeah, so I went and, and my name got pulled and you go up and you do like five minutes of stand up. And I remember mm-hmm. it went like pretty well. Like, I, you know, there was maybe one joke I had that didn't work, but for the five minutes, you know, I got laughs and there was like a decent crowd there that night. Cause mm-hmm. UCB was like, it was like a cool thing to do in New York. Like yeah. everybody in the comedy industry and like everyone, you know, who heard about it, like any show that they had, you know, any time of the night, there'd be people yeah. there. So we had a good crowd and uh, the show went really well. And I felt like really good about it. I was like, yeah, I, I did it. You know, I killed it. And then um, I thought, oh, I can do this. And so next week uh, after that, I signed up for a mic at a place called Maui Taco. I don't even know if it's still there. Ooh. It's by... Uh, it's by Penn Station on 34th Street. Oh God. It's like this Mexican restaurant and they have stairs going like down in the basement. They had a comedy show down there. And I, I, you know, coming off of my big debut, I was like, oh, I'm good. And I went up there and just bombed for 10 minutes of silence. It just yeah. sucked. Oh, it was bad. I mean, the and best so, place to do stand-up is a taco restaurant. So yes, exactly. <laughs> and I remember it because there was there was a small audience when I, when the mic started and it was all exchange students from England, there was maybe like eight of them and they were sitting there and like the other comics went up and like the other comics, I remember at least three of them going up and not doing great. Like they didn't get many laughs or anything. Yeah. And then the host went up and decided to do like 20 minutes. Like just, I I think his mic didn't often have an audience and because there are people there, he did like 20 minutes and then by the time he was done the whole audience was like okay we're done and they and they left so this is my first time at a mic and I was like oh the audience left that's probably means the mic's over and they're like no the comics are still here so then I had to go up with no audience in front of like four comics who had just not done well and just tell jokes to this silent room yeah I was gonna say and like comics never laugh so it's like such a hard thing to just I know it's so rough I try to be a good laugher when I'm at mics like even to this day like I I won't force it or give like pity laughs yeah I always try to like you know I'm there to have fun like if people tell a good joke like I laugh but it's it's crazy how many comics will go to open mics and then just sit there and be like you know I'm not I can't laugh for anyone else or it hurts me basically yeah no I completely agree and what I love about your stand-up too I think you're such a smart writer thank you I think so too yeah (laughs) like yes but your jokes are always just so well written and yeah I mean there's different styles with different people there's people that are like storytellers there's people that like like being you know animated and doing characters yeah um you know I appreciate it because I definitely you know try to write in a smart way and that's just always the comedy that like I was drawn to like I like punchlines like I kind of it's not that there's no comics that I like you know that don't do punchlines but like it's like I want to hear a joke I don't I don't you know I'm not really drawn to like storyteller comics like the ones I liked growing up um like I watched comedy just all of my like teens and high school years. It was all I watched. Um, you know, Jim Gaffigan, I liked a lot. Mitch Hedberg, I liked a lot. Um, those were probably like my two favorites. And like when I first started, that was like, like between Jim Gaffigan and Mitch Hedberg, they were probably the biggest influence on my like early writing style. Um, and then like working at Conan, you know, the writers there were brilliant and it wasn't like stand up that they were doing, but it was really like sharp comedy. So I felt like I absorbed a lot of that. 
Um, and you know, then you know, I like I liked SNL growing up. I was I'm like a big Norm McDonald fan also. Oh I think God. he has great he has great punchlines and smart jokes, and then he also has great like anti-jokes and just sort of stories that twist but in like a smart way where there is like a punchline to it. So that's just like what I've been that that was like the biggest influence on me. So I feel like that's what I've been drawn to. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet Norm at Conan or at any of the shows you've worked on? Yes. Oh, that's, oh, that's a great Okay, so this is a great, a great question because I don't think I've told this story on a podcast before. So Norm, Norm was on Conan a lot and he was like our favorite guest. Like he's yeah. so funny. His, all of his Conan appearances are legendary. Like you can go on YouTube and just go down a rabbit hole of watching Norm MacDonald on Conan. Um, but he would always like run late for his appearances yeah. and he would uh, like the segment producers. So when I was at Conan, I was a segment producer's assistant. Yeah. And so they do pre-interviews with the guest and handle like the guest interviews. Mm -hmm. And most guests will schedule like a pre-interview for like a half hour, like the day before the show. And they'll call the producer and go through stories or whatever jokes they have. Yeah. And then that will be kind of shaped into the segment. Mm -hmm. With Norm, he would just, cause he had our producer's number. He would just call randomly like 15 times at different points in the week leading up to his appearance. <laughs> with different stories and different pitches. And, you know, he'd run them by the producer. And then when he actually got out there, none of that stuff was used and he would just do his norm thing and just, you know, make fun of the first guest or whatever. <laughs> so, but the one time he was running late and it was like getting closer and closer to showtime and he wasn't there and we had sent a car to pick him up. This was after the show moved to LA. Okay. Me and the uh, talent coordinator, we keep trying to get a hold of him. Talent coordinator is like, like we have Norm's number, we keep calling him. And she said, the driver is there, the driver is banging on the door. And then we, this was like a half hour before, then it's like 15 minutes before, then it's like 10 minutes before. And she said, the driver has been knocking on the door. And finally I get through and he goes, hello? And I, I go, Norm, this is Adam at Conan. Like you're supposed to be here soon. And he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm coming. I just, I was taking a nap first. <laughs> and we go, okay, well, it's like 10 minutes before the show starts, you know, how far away you, there's a driver there for you. And he goes, I got to tell you, I've been, I've been trying to take a nap, but I can't sleep because someone in my neighborhood's hammering. <laughs> I go, I go, Norm, that's the driver at your door, knocking on the door. Oh my God, <laughs> that's incredible. He's like my favorite comic, so. He's that's hilarious, so yeah. Everything he does is just, he's, he's one that I, what I love about him, he's a comic who can I think he's one of the funniest people alive and he can do yeah. anything. He can do set up like punchline kind of jokes. He can do impressions. Like if you look at his old like SNL, like the Bob Dole or the Turd Ferguson, you know, like he could do that. He can do like storytelling. Um, if you've read his book, it's hilarious. Like there's, there's very few comics that have, you know, all of those talents down. It's usually yeah. they gravitate towards one, but yeah, I think Norm is just brilliant. Oh, do you, yeah, like what you were saying too, when I started comedy, I thought you were, I just thought you were funny. I didn't realize like there were specific writers versus performers. Like, is there one, cause you're great, a great writer and performer. Is there one you had to work at more or were you just always naturally? Definitely performing is something that I have to work at more. And I feel like that's still a, a thing that I have to, because like, I have like, um, I have stage presence in terms of like confidence in delivering jokes. I'm not like a big personality on stage. And there's a lot of comics I think that, um, you know, it, it's weird as a writerly comic, 
there's always this instinct to like you know hate on the comics that are very like big and animated because yeah. it gets laughs and it wins audiences over very quickly mm -hmm. um but as a writer comic you're always sitting there and you're like what are they laughing at there's no joke he's just yelling things and making faces you know but but audiences like that you know it, there's people you know like robin williams or jim carrey or people that are you know hilarious but are just you know big personalities yeah. um but i came from like a writing background and like, you know, I was saying, like, if you watch like Mitch Hedberg or, um, you know, Jim Gaffigan has some act outs and does voices, but, you know, I like the more like delivery based stand up comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had to work much more on like, you know, just just having stage presence more so than writing, which, you know, I, I work at, but it came more naturally to me. Yeah. Um, and I had to get rid of like bad habits when I started like pacing, you know, that's something a lot of, I did that when I first started, you know, where you walk back and forth yeah. across the stage. Done um, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now I found, you know, like I'm most comfortable when I get up. It, the, what's been hard about the pandemic is like, you don't get up regularly. Yeah. And I feel like I'm much more confident on stage and I can even kind of riff and talk to the audience if I'm going up, you know, multiple nights a week. Yeah. If I go up once every three weeks, it's like when you get up there, no matter how many times you've done it, if you take like three weeks off, you feel rusty and you're like, oh, I, I got to be out here doing this more often. Yeah. My first time, like just doing stand up after, well, I, not after the pandemic, but like after I got here and like things were more open here, I was like, I, these jokes are going to kill and all yep. bombed. I was like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's my yeah. first time doing it again. But. I always have like, um, I call them like canary in the coal mine jokes where like, I'm trying, you know, if there's, if there's a crowd that's difficult, you know, or not getting laughs, I always wonder whether it's like me or the audience. So then you yeah. like break out like the old jokes that like always kill. Yeah. And if that one doesn't go over, you're like, oh, this, you know, it, there's no saving it. <laughs> it's just, it's just yeah. everything's good. Everything's done if this joke dies. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's different because like, you know, I don't like to blame the audience, you know, that's like yeah. a, it, it's a bad instinct in comedy, but at the same time, there are audiences that, you know, some audiences love clean, sharp humor. Yeah. And then if a comp, if a comic comes up and is dirty, they're put off by that. Whereas, yeah. you know, other audiences just love dirty humor and, you know, that gets the biggest laugh. And yeah. then if you go up and try to do something clean, or if you're lower energy than the comic, you know, they're not feeling you. And, you know, definitely part of being on stage is, you know, in all comics, regardless, you have to kind of work off that energy, no matter what the audience is. But at the end of the day, there are always, you know, audiences and clubs and even parts of the country that gravitate towards different styles, you know, so it's like, you know, you kind of have to read the audience, but you, you sometimes, you know, sometimes you blame them and yeah. it's their fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I remember watching Conan call your parents, like, back in the day, and it was like yeah. one of the funniest things, like... Yep. How, did, how did they react to that at all? So, yeah, my, uh, Conan did this bit where he was calling the, all the staff members' parents to get their yeah. opinion on the show, basically. And when he called my parents uh, at home, their answering they weren't home, and their answering machine rang like 20 times before the recording picked up. <laughs> and, and he's sitting there, and he left the message, which my mom still has saved on tape somewhere, yeah. of Conan... Uh, lecturing them on how you can adjust the settings on how many times you're answering machine rings. And he goes, maybe you could set it to like four or five instead of 50, you know? So oh, they love that he called. And then what didn't make it into the show is uh, like that part was funny. And then 
when he didn't get through to them at their landline, he called them on their cell phone because I gave him their cell phone. I was like, maybe we can reach them here. And they were out eating at a restaurant in Allentown called the Chicken Lounge. Ooh. And uh, my, I remember because I, I called the number and I'm sitting at my desk and my mom picks up and she goes, hi, Adam. And I go, mom, there's somebody that wants to talk to you. And Conan takes the phone and he goes, Mrs. Yenser, it's Conan O'Brien. And she screams, she goes, it is not. <laughs> And then he goes, he goes, it is, I want to talk to you. And she goes, hold on, hold on, I have to get outside. And she runs outside. Uh, and you just hear this all over the phone. And my dad came out. And Conan talked to them for like, I don't know, probably five minutes or more, you know, just yeah. kind of talking to them about the show, what they thought of the show. He's, he was great to work for. Aww. And, um, you know, I grew up loving him and my parents loved him. So they were thrilled when he called. That was like, yeah, it was a lot of fun for them. Aww. You're one of the only people I know who went from late night to daytime too. And I think that's a pretty hard, I mean, just from my opinion, a hard thing yeah. to do. Um, I think from my opinion, it was a hard thing to do as well. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, how did you, I mean, even like just writing a packet, I feel like would be so hard going from late night to daytime. Like, how did well, you? <laughs> so it's interesting that that's very like observant because that was hard. So I worked at Conan for six years. I wanted to get into writing. I started as an intern there. Then I became the receptionist. Then I became the segment producer's assistant, but I, I always wanted to get into writing. Yeah. Um, and so uh, when I moved out here to, I moved out with Conan's show to LA and did the Tonight Show and then moved to the TBS show. Uh, and a writing job opened at Conan and I applied to it, but I didn't get that. And writing jobs like hardly ever open there because it's a great place to write. And so, you know, people stay there forever. So I was like, it's gonna be another six years before another writing job opens. So I started putting out, you know, writing samples elsewhere. I started looking, you know, at different places, sent some submissions out. And um, Ellen and Conan were both on the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah. So a friend of mine at Conan heard about the job opening at Ellen. And I, you know, Ellen was like a comic that I respect. And like when I would catch her show, I enjoyed it. But it wasn't a show that I was like tuning into every day or like new inside and out. Um, and so, you know, they said they were taking writing submissions and, I put together, I had been freelancing for Weekend Update. So they have like, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to have a thing where you could freelance for Weekend Update and send in like topical jokes every week. So I had been doing that. So I just sent in to the Ellen producers like a packet of like late night monologue, like Weekend Update style jokes. Yeah. And then um, like a few weeks later, their producer called me and said, hey, you know, this is the Ellen show. We got your jokes and we really like them, but they're not like Ellen's style at all. Yeah. If we send you uh, like three examples of her monologues, can you resubmit in her style? And so they sent me, you know, some scripts from three previous monologues she had done that they liked. And over the course of like a weekend, I inundated myself with like every Ellen clip I could find. <laughs> I watched her specials. I watched on YouTube, like every clip from the Ellen show that I could find. Yeah. Uh, kind of trying to just like absorb her style and stuff. And then I resubmitted with those monologue submissions and some comedy bit ideas. Uh, and they liked them and set up an interview and, and I got hired there. Um, and it was, it was great and it was awesome. But what you were saying about moving from late night, it was still, it's such a hard learning curve coming yeah. from both late night just because of the tone. Like I'm not like a dirty comedian, but I like edgy and like bizarre kind of humor and like the yeah. absurdist stuff you do on late night. Yeah. And, you know, Ellen is, you know, it's, it's a daytime show. So the audience is different. Um, and it, so it was hard to get the tone down. 
And also what's different is like most late night shows, now each host has their own personality, but the monologue jokes are like a headline and then a punchline, a headline and then a punchline. And then the comedy acts are like, they're like sort of a ringleader in a circus where there's like craziness going on around them and they're interacting with characters, but they're kind of the straight man for most of it. Yeah. But like with Ellen, the monologues are like stories from her life or like her perspective on what's going on or like, you know, her observation. So everything has to, when you're writing for it, has to sound like it's like her. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the first like year I was there, like every writing contracts start as 13 week cycles. So it's like every 13 weeks you're up for renewal. And every 13 weeks for my first year there, I thought I was going to get fired. Just every time I was like, I didn't write enough good stuff this week. They didn't like anything. Um, it's such a high pressure to environment every yeah. day and yeah it's a lot <laughs> and then it was like you know probably three quarters of the way through my first year um, the head writer there at the time Kevin Lehman was like really supportive of me he helped me kind of you know get get her voice down and was really you know encouraging um, and yeah so about three quarters of my way through my first year I felt like I started to get it and then it wasn't until like my second full year there where I really sort of felt comfortable writing in her voice yeah do you have any tips on how because I feel like that's what I always struggle with too is like getting the voice down like people yeah. are like, you sound like you like you're just writing yep. your punchlines like do you have any tips on how to get better at that or just practice uh, I mean practice is the best thing but like I said you know what I did when I was putting together the submission you know whoever you're writing for just like inundate yourself if they're you know, if they host a show, also look up their stand-up specials. Watch every clip from their show that you can. If they've acted in movies, like look up, you know, what they're like, like try to get inside their head um, and, and see, you know, what, you know, not just, you know, what jokes they've told on the show, but like who they are as a person, you know, to get that yeah. kind of their perspective down. And when you're kind of out and about in your like, I find it hard sometimes to just sit down and come up with ideas. So it's more like when you're out, you know, in a conversation or in the day, you observe something. You're like, oh, I could work this into a bit. Yeah. I, I always try to, like, if you're someone who does write for yourself and does stand-up or has, you know, you know, an interest in writing for different styles, like, as soon as an idea hits me, like, try to place it. Like, oh, this is something that I would do in stand-up or, you know, oh, this is something Ellen would do. Like, as soon as an idea hits, like, people have asked me, you know, is it hard? Like, do you yeah. feel like you give your best material to the show? Or do you feel like, you know, if you come up with a good idea, do you want to save it for yourself? That's rarely a problem for me. Yeah. Because I feel like just tone and voice wise, it's like when a comedy idea hits, it's very clear to me instantly whether this is for my stand up or, oh, this is something that would work in Ellen's voice on the show. Yeah. Oh, that's such good advice. You were a philosophy major, right? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I double major. So I, I have a major in film and video, which is where I learned like screenwriting and stuff. And oh, then awesome. I, double, I double majored in philosophy as well. Yeah, I was like, I feel like you can tell. Uh, it's interesting you said that because philosophy is actually pretty common among like comedians. I think it was in Steve Martin's book. Yeah. He mentions that. Um, and I know Stephen Colbert, I think, has talked about this because he said it kind of gives you a sense of like illogical logic and sort of arguing absurd points of view. Like another popular one is... Um, like law students, which is always kind of related to like people who start out in philosophy, some of them yeah. go for their masters. Um, like Greg Giraldo went to Harvard Law. Um, Mike Sweeney, who was like the head writer at Conan for years, started out as a lawyer. And um, I just recently read, um, there's a biography of Greg Giraldo by Matt Balaker that came out recently. Ooh. 
and he talks about that in there how like Greg Giraldo's style of comedy it was like he could argue like any point of view through humor and it's like a lot of that comes from philosophy and logic and learning debate and stuff like that like it's very applicable to comedy writing yeah I never actually put two and two together but I'm like yeah there are actually like the Lucas brothers too or we're lawyers. yeah yeah crazy what uh so I love your field pieces too I loved <laughs> I watched the I mean Kevin the cashier is amazing but I also <laughs> love the LA um the safari guide oh yeah that's what, probably one of my favorite ones like how did oh, that come about that one was so much fun to shoot um <laughs> like if if any of your listeners don't know uh basically we set up an LA like there's all these like celebrity home tours and stuff in LA and these bus yeah. tours you can take so we set up one called the LA wildlife tour where it was like a tour van and we drive around Los Angeles looking for wildlife just in the city. Um, and so we had this van painted with like California wildlife, like bears and bobcats and stuff. And then uh, we, we set it up like it was a real tour and we got tourists that got in and then I just drove them around basically looking for like squirrels and raccoons and domestic dogs and we didn't see anything, but we had we always have to like book people for this stuff like as if it's you know like a tour like our our human interest department is like amazing and our production assistants who like help coordinate all this craziness and I just show up and do my thing but um we had a group of like 10 people on this tour and they had a whole other tour group lined up because we were sure no one would put up with this for that long we were like we we're like we're gonna have to cut these people are gonna get angry and we never had to go to the second group. We literally from like started at 5 p.m. and for like two hours as it got dark out, I drove these people around like Sherman Oaks and downtown LA and looked under bridges at pigeons and stuff. And, like, and they, they would, the greatest thing is like when I get off the van for a moment or two and we have microphones so you can hear them like talking to each other about me. And yeah. it's, Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. I love to when there was like a dog, like this little tiny dog, and they were like not friendly. And you were like, everyone back up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So funny. Are you sure you haven't done improv? I don't know. I mean, it's pretty I've never bad. done improv. Yeah. I mean, that there's a lot of improv in the Kevin the Cashier bits and those, but yeah, uh, yeah I've never done like long or short form improv like in a theater. Yeah, I would laugh so hard doing the Kevin and the cashier. Yeah, like, there was, there's been, you know, they don't make it into the uh, like final cut often, but yeah. there's two that actually made it into the final cut where you can actually see me start to break. <laughs> there was, um, when I worked at Michael's, there was this lady who wanted to return like yarn. Yeah. And, and she took it, like it had like a tube like holder and then it had this very like phallic wrapped like yarn. Yeah. And we're taken out looking at for the like barcode. And then I said, I have to put it back in, like hold this part. And she held like the receptacle. And I was just jamming, trying to jam the other thing back in. And I, I almost started laughing. <laughs> and then uh, the other one was at uh, PetSmart. Um, I was showing people pictures of my pets on my phone. Yeah. They were all like they were all like double entendres. I was like, do you want to see my lizard? Do you want to see my snake? Do you want to see my weasel? Do you want to see my hog? And when I said do you want to see my hog, I almost I, like you can see it like my yeah. the corners of my mouth. It's yeah, it, it was difficult <laughs> to keep my composure during No, you're so good at them. Like is there, <laughs> was there a favorite one that you had? I know you've done so many now, but Ooh. The, um, it wasn't, a, I, I don't think it was branded as a Kevin the Cashier, but we did like an integration with 
scotch tape or something where I did gift wrapping at Michael's. Yeah. The gift wrapping at Michael's is one of my favorites. Um, cut restaurant. We did this like really fancy restaurant in LA where I was a sommelier and oh, was yes. like bringing around wine and drinks to people. That one was really good. Um, and then there's also one that I worked at a Chevy dealership in um, Chicago, actually. <laughs> uh, and that that one, those three are probably my favorites. Oh my God. Now, do you like doing that type of stuff? Because I love canceled news too, what you do now. Uh-huh. Like, do you like doing those more than like writing monologue jokes or I, you know, I love canceled news because like, I, I am like, you know, one of the few more conservative leaning people in the entertainment industry. And yeah. there's not a lot of outlets for like, uh, you know, like, like topical jokes from kind of that perspective. I don't do all politics on that yeah. show, but when there is political stories, I, I, you know, I have a different perspective than kind of what is on most of the, you know, network uh, comedy shows. So I love doing that because it's my own voice, but you know, I, I like, you know, writing for Ellen and it's, and it's a great place, you know, for me to be able to, you know, put that style of comedy out there as well. Um, and the Kevin, the cashier bits, you know, they're, they're fun. Um, because it's not something that I ever saw myself doing. Like I never, I never saw myself as like a prank comedian or like a yeah. hidden comedian, but it wound up being something that fit my style very well because you know, everyone always says it's because I'm good at like, you know, I mentioned I break, but for the most part, I'm good at keeping a straight face. Yeah. And it always like surprises me how if you say something to someone in just a like monotone, like, and you act like it's like a normal thing, they'll go along with it, no matter how crazy it is, you know. So I enjoy that. I really like also um, every year at the holidays when Ellen does her 12 days of giveaways, mm-hmm. I go out and try to find people selling their gifts for money online. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh... <laughs> Investigate. I like I like kind of the idea of like being like a correspondent. Like I've never liked it acting. Like I don't like doing yeah. characters, but I like kind of being, you know, myself and like, you know, being the sort of fake investigative reporter kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like canceled news and stand-up is, you know, that that's really fun for me because it's like that thing where it's like it's your material, it's you're delivering it, you're in control of everything. Yeah. And it's like that's something like that's like what feeds you as a comic like that's the fun <laughs> part of it is like you know this is my joke and I'm telling it and it's yeah you know, it is what it is kind of yeah and did I hear you got to work with Robert Smigel once when you were at Conan or something with yeah him? so I I don't know Robert well but I worked with him on Triumph shoots uh when oh, when cool. he was uh at Conan he, Robert Smigel is like like a hero of mine in like comedy mm-hmm. writing he's he's had his hand in so many things and like he's so brilliantly funny and I also think he like he did this industry right where he his name means something like most people know of Robert Smigel's name. Yeah. Most people have seen, you know, like the um, Saturday TV Funhouse on SNL. Most people know Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. But if he walks down the street, like most people don't recognize it. It's like to have that like your name mean something in comedy, but to not be like a celebrity yourself. Like, I, you know, I love I love his comedy. And I think he's, you know, had such a smart and successful career. Um, but yeah, it, it was really cool to see him. Uh, I did the, the Triumph Goes to Chinatown um, shoot I remember I was with on. Um, and it's funny because it's like, you know, I run into this problem sometimes on um, uh, Kevin the Cashier and like, especially those investigative shoots that we do sometimes. Yeah. Because like Robert Smigel would always do this where it's like, before you go on those like man on the street shoots, you have to like clear certain areas where you can shoot, like especially in LA and New York, you need shooting permits. And then if you're going in stores or something, you need to clear it. 
But then like as a comedian or like as, you know, when Robert's doing Triumph, it's just whatever happens, he goes. Yeah. And you know, the field producer is always there going, no, we can't go in there. And it's like, no, we're going in there and we'll, we'll worry about it later. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. just like, you have to go to where the, where the comedy is. Um, and it's funny, years later, I actually, I don't think this bit aired on Ellen. I think it was for the web. But they have this thing called CatCon in LA where it's like cat crazy cat people. Um, and I was know? there. You don't know? Uh, that's not your thing? <laughs> well, your thing. I was no. there this was years later. I was shooting a bit for Ellen, like as a correspondent at CatCon. And Robert Smigel was there doing Triumph as a bit for Conan. And, and I saw him there again. And I was like, yeah. So um, yeah, it was, it was fun to run into him again. Like I said, I don't, I don't know him well, but I worked with him a few times. And oh, cool. I, he's, he's a great guy. And he's such a just brilliant comedy writer oh was it cool to go back to Conan too because I know you did a set there which I loved your set too oh yeah that was that was such a good feeling to be able to go back and do stand-up that was two years after I left I think I came mm -hmm. back to do uh like a stand-up set on Conan and yeah it felt like it felt like coming home it felt oh. like seeing family again um just like being able to be backstage right before I walked out there um and you know I got to hang out at the studio for a while afterwards and you know talk to my old my old bosses, the segment producers, and see yeah. people that I work with there. Yeah, it's just it, like Conan is. Um, you know, it's weird. I I I love you know having been able to work at Ellen, and you know I love the other writers there, and and it's it's a great place to work. But Conan, from what we went through moving out to L.A. from New York, and then the whole drama with Jay Leno and the Tonight Show, and then moving to TBS, you know, it felt like like Conan always described it as like a pirate ship. Like it just felt like. <laughs> felt like a family and it felt like we could you know it was just even though I wasn't even like a creative role on the show just being a part yeah. of that environment um you know I felt so close to those people and I you know it's like I admired them when I was a kid growing up watching Conan yeah. and then to be able to get like work with them and and move around them there's such a, a great group of people to work with yeah oh, are people like uh, not protesting, but people were like outside. There was a rally outside the studio <laughs> yeah. when it was raining in Los Angeles. No one in Los Angeles goes outside when it rains. Yeah. And we would, and we came out and there was like the whole Team Coco thing. Yeah. And I, I have pictures of this. There was a day we were at Universal uh, Studios lot is where the Tonight Show with Conan taped. Yeah. And um, we walked outside because the building was like this new building they built for the Conan Tonight Show <laughs> because it's, you know, it had like a rooftop like because it was, you know, the the Tonight Show, we're going to be there forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, we went out on the roof and I have a picture of me standing next to Conan and the head writer and they're holding a banner down over the wall of like the Team Coco artwork. And there's just like a sea of people holding up, you know, I'm with Coco signs and they're in rain slickers and like yeah. hats and it's pouring. And they had um, La Bamba go out in like a, a Pope mobile kind of thing where he was like protective <laughs> under glass and yeah. like with people in the crowd um and yeah just the support from like the the support from the fans you know yeah. when all that was going down was just like like it's weird because it's one of those things where you know when you look back at it like you're losing a show we were all going to be out of work you know it's this thing we moved across the country for this this yeah. job and it's a show that we all love and it's like it's going away and it feels unfair but like when I look back on it, it was like such a fun, like it's like a positive memory. It was such a fun time to see all of that energy from the fans and how much they loved the show. Um, and it was just such like an exciting thing to be a part of. And, and those, those last few shows, 
were there were so many like funny bits that came out of it like they were trying to they did a bit where they were like trying to waste NBC's money before they left so they <laughs> so they so they introduced the uh, Bugatti Veyron mouse and it was like you know a $200,000 sports car dressed up like a mouse Amazing. And we had the rental cost for every day <laughs> um, and then uh Norm, Norm came on in one of those final days at the night show and he did a bit where he said, you know, this is a, I, I don't know if it was the, no, it was the second time I think he was on the Tonight Show, but he said, I forgot to bring this the first time I was here, but I got you this, this gift basket for getting the night show and I have this card I want to read. And, he's, and he starts reading this card and he goes, dear Conan, congratulations on becoming the permanent host of the Tonight Show. That's something they can never take away from you. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. But it was so brilliant. And then um, like Neil Young played on the last show and we all were like sitting in the studio watching Neil Young play. And I remember when we left New York, um, when we left the last late night show, the White Stripes were our final guest. And we were all watching the White Stripes there. And then that turned out to be like the last performance they ever did before they broke up. So it's like oh, we got God. to see like the White Stripes last performance on Conan and they did a version of um, We Are Gonna Be Friends that was, it was like different than their studio version. It was, it was really cool, yeah. I feel like you need to write a book too. I'm like, just tell me everything. <laughs> so cool, yeah. yeah. Oh, is there anything you're working on now too? I mean, you're pretty busy with the show full-time, doing stand-up, doing canceled news and everything. Yeah. Is there anything yeah. else you're working on? You know, it's like you you named it all and it just yeah. I feel like I'm doing a lot. Yeah. So so I'm writing for Ellen right now. Uh, I've just started getting back on the road for stand-up gigs. Yeah. Um I've the the last few weekends I was in Tennessee, Oregon, and Colorado. And then um coming up I yeah, I have a show called The Cancelled News on YouTube, which is sort of like a conservative leaning weekend update that I do every week. Um and then uh I actually have a, I, I haven't announced this anywhere yet. I don't know if I'm allowed to announce it or not, but I'm doing, um, uh, I'm taping a half hour special for, um, uh, what's it called? Dry bar comedy. Oh, awesome. They, yeah, they do like kind of clean comedy online. Um, they have their own website and then they share a lot of their clips on social media. Um, so I'm taping a half hour segment for them in Provo, Utah on May 21st. I think that's coming up. So, so yeah, I have, a, I have a lot of different, you know, yeah, projects. Jesus. How are uh, you doing all this? I'm doing uh, one thing and I'm tired. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So this coming week is our spring break, like hiatus at Ellen. Yeah. And it's like, I just need to get caught up on like every, like I have a pile of bills that like, I have the money. I just don't have the time to fill them out. You know? yeah. and, then, and then I have uh, like, I haven't done my taxes yet. Uh, my car isn't getting serviced now because I haven't taken it like I, it's just yeah. this week where I have to get caught up on everything that I've been putting off as I've like yeah. been working on all this stuff for the last few weeks yeah well you're doing so much I'm so impressed like thank you for everything too you're one of my favorite comedians oh like, thank you so much oh, Jessica thank you I, for having me this was great you're a great podcast host I feel like you got <laughs> stories out of me that like that other other people haven't you know heard before so that's good oh thanks I don't know if that's true but I'll take it but yeah